Hi, I'm Cleo, and this is the podcast in which I use my PhD in English to interpret the songs of Olivia Rodrigo. Just kidding, this is a podcast about Taylor Swift. But today we're talking about Olivia Rodrigo too. Welcome to episode one of season two, Taylor Swift, Olivia Rodrigo, and the Uncanny Double. Sigmund Freud, in an essay on the idea of the uncanny, suggests that this feeling can be elicited by an involuntary return to the same situation. This return leads to a, quote, feeling of helplessness and of something uncanny. As, for instance, Freud goes on, when one is lost in a forest in high altitudes, caught, we will suppose, by the mountain mist, and when every endeavor to find the marked or familiar path ends again and again in a return to one and the same spot, recognizable by some particular landmark. Or when one wanders about in a dark, strange room, looking for the door or the electric switch, and collides for the hundredth time with the same piece of furniture. This latter sounds like an elaborate metaphor in a Taylor Swift song about the impossibility of love, but let's set that aside for now. In other words, the uncanny has to do with unplanned and unwanted repetition. Repetition that, in the situations Freud describes, derives from being lost, from having lost one's bearings, in an environment that, despite its repetition of the same landmarks, becomes in some sense unreadable. You might bump into the same chair over and over again, but that won't help you find the door or the light switch. The uncanny is therefore tied to a feeling of helplessness in the face of repetition. But Freud suggests, as usual, that there is an unconscious wish at the heart of this matter. Freud writes that we are able to postulate the principle of a repetition compulsion in the unconscious mind. Under the force of this compulsion, Freud argues, people can cause situations to repeat, putting themselves into positions they have been in before, often traumatic ones. When elements of the external world seem to repeat, this reminds us, Freud argues, of our own repetition compulsion, an element of the unconscious mind that we recognize without knowing that we recognize it in the external world. And indeed, this kind of strange recognition, this recognition without recognition, is what the uncanny means for Freud. Freud, for example, discusses the theory of the double, or doppelganger, as expressed by Otto Rank. The double arising from a narcissistic desire to avoid death by creating a replica of oneself, a desire that is specifically tied to sort of an early stage in development. Freud says, quote, from having been an assurance of immortality, the double becomes the ghastly harbinger of death. The quality of uncanniness can only come from the circumstance of the double being a creation dating back to a very early mental stage long since left behind, and one no doubt in which it wore a more friendly aspect. The double, then, in Freud's understanding of wrong, becomes a way of thinking about one's past, one's mental past, a recognition of a past relationship to an imaginary being that is also oneself, that is no longer friendly, a stranger who used to be me. Whatever one thinks of the psychoanalytic theories here, the idea of the uncanny is useful, particularly in Freud's realization that the uncanny, like the double, has no true opposite. In Freud's native German, the unheimlich, or uncanny, is not an antonym but a synonym for the heimlich. The most uncanny things are the things closest to home. The double is uncanny because it both is and is not me. Olivia Rodrigo's Deja Vu takes on the idea of the double to accuse an ex-boyfriend of a romantic repetition compulsion, a lack of originality so great that he seems able only to recreate the same, ultimately we know doomed, relationship over and over again with the same type of girl. This is Deja Vu by Olivia Rodrigo and Dan Nigro. Caught 
car rides to Malibu, strawberry ice cream one spoon for two, and trading jackets laughing about how small it looks on you, ha 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 watching reruns of Glee, being annoying, singing in harmony, I bet she's bragging to all her friends, saying you're so unique. So when you gonna tell her that we did that too? She thinks it's special, but it's all reused. That was our place, I found it first. I made the jokes you tell to her when she's with you. Do you get deja vu when she's with you? Do you get deja vu? Do you get deja vu? Do you call her, almost say my name? Cause let's be honest, we kinda do sound the same. Another actress, I hate to think that I was just your type. I'll bet that she knows Billy Joel cause you played her uptown girl, you're singing it together. Now I bet you even tell her how you love her in between the chorus and the verse. I love you. So when you gonna tell her that we did that too? She thinks it's special, but it's all reused. That was the show we talked about, played you the song she's singing now when she's with you. Do you get deja vu when she's with you? Do you get deja vu? Do you get deja vu? Strawberry ice cream in Malibu, don't act like we didn't do that shit too. You're trading jackets like we used to do. Yeah, everything is all reused. Play her piano, but she doesn't know that I was the one who taught you Billy Joel. A different girl now, but there's nothing new. I know you get deja vu. Rodrigo acknowledges the fact that she is a type, as defined by the OED as one's type, the sort of person to whom one is attracted. The fact that the other girl is another actress reinforces the idea of the type, acting being a profession in which one is required to categorize oneself for the purpose of being matched with the right role. An article on Backstage.com, last updated in April of this year, called How to Find Your Type as an Actor, lists some things that can influence an actor's type. Gender, age range, physical traits such as being short or thin. The article lists some types such as queen bee slash ball busting CEO, girl next door slash soccer mom, and geek. And finally gives us recommended watching, the music video for Taylor Swift's You Belong With Me, presumably because Taylor Swift plays several of these types in it. The type is more generally, in natural history going back to the OED, a species or genus which most perfectly exhibits the essential characters of its family or group, and from which the family or group is usually named, or, in some ways conversely, an individual embodying all the distinctive characteristics of a species, especially the specimen on which the first published description of a species is based. Thus, a type is the group of things all connected by similar characteristics, or the individual on which the description of a group is based. Connectedly, therefore, the type 2 is, to continue quoting the OED, that by which something is symbolized or figured, anything having a symbolical signification, a symbol emblem. Specifically in theology, a person, object, or event of Old Testament history prefiguring some person or thing revealed in the New Dispensation. The individual, that is, prefiguring another, very similar individual. In this reading, then, Olivia Rodrigo's speaker is not just the boy's type, the type of girl he is attracted to, but a type for the future girl, the one who is coming, or perhaps who is already here. What is Rodrigo's speaker's reaction to being a type? In some ways, it's a very unanxious reaction. The song is not a commentary on being like other women, but on a man who is incapable of having different experiences with different women. In some ways, if Olivia's speaker taught the man Billy Joel and he now teaches Billy Joel to the new girl, his personality seems to be a blank, a blank page having taken the impression of Olivia's type, to borrow a metaphor from typesetting. And he too, like the girl who has taken Olivia's place, seems to become a kind of double of her speaker, albeit an imperfect double. 
something reinforced by the fact that her jacket does not fit him, it's too small. When they use one spoon for two, this is both a cute relationship thing and a metaphor of this doubling, the attempt to spread a small amount of sickly sweet content between two people, which comes to its culmination in using Uptown Girl as your special song in two separate, if extremely similar, relationships. In fact, déjà vu reflects not just upon the doubling up of people, but the mechanical reproduction of content. They watch reruns of Glee, as indeed the new relationship as a whole is also a rerun of Glee, a repetition of past happiness. And when they play Billy Joel, this could mean that they play Uptown Girl on Spotify, or on a record or a vintage cassette player, or it could mean that they play his songs on the piano, thus playing Billy Joel in a slightly different way, playing at being Billy Joel. In fact, all these different people, the speaker, the ex, the new girlfriend, and Billy Joel, seem to converge into a single speaker. One figure who knows Billy Joel's songs and sings them, who says I love you between the chorus and the verse of a song that's both Uptown Girl and this song, and who has deja vu, who sees the past and the future within the present like to steal shamelessly from T.S. Eliot, the skull beneath the skin. It might seem that the major intertext here is Uptown Girl or perhaps Glee, a show that depended for its success on staging covers of well-known songs. And indeed, Uptown Girl depends on precisely this idea of the type. I'm gonna try for an Uptown Girl. It doesn't really matter which one. And indeed, Uptown Girl and Deja Vu have the same number of syllables, and I would say the same metrical pattern. Dun 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 but you probably know where this is going. Because, of course, there's another girl who kind of sounds like Olivia Rodrigo, and that, of course, is Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has more than once referred to Olivia Rodrigo as her child, or her baby, a claim for a kind of doubling, a reproduction. And Rodrigo, in turn, frequently talks about her love of Taylor Swift, her desire to emulate Taylor, the fact that she aspires to write music like Taylor's. Rodrigo spoke in an interview with Rolling Stone about the fact that Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer influenced the song Deja Vu. I love Cruel Summer, it's one of my favorite songs ever. I love that like the yelly vocals in it, like the harmonized yells that she does, I feel like they're like super electric and like moving, and so I wanted to do something like that. And I love that, um, that little like that's like my favorite part of the production. And Rodrigo recently added Taylor Swift, as well as the co-writers of Cruel Summer, St. Vincent, and Jack Antonoff, as credited co-writers of Deja Vu, seemingly because of this desire to imitate the song, because of the fact that that song in some ways gave rise to Deja Vu. So this song, which is so obsessed with imitation, is itself openly an imitation of Taylor Swift. Imitation being, of course, one of the vectors of invention, one of the ways by which any kind of creation is possible. As Derrida reminds us, invention etymologically means finding, and it consists of both stating what is there and imagining what is possible. Imitation was for a long time, at least in the West, a dominant way of thinking about creative work, allowing for following a model up to the point where you get to something that you think needs changing. Anyway, this song about sounding like someone else, and that similarity being part of one's appeal, reflects on this relationship to Taylor Swift, a relationship between authors, between songwriters, that therefore makes the ex who knows what he likes a representative of the public. And in fact, the song recasts this recognition of similarity, from a possible criticism to a sort of statement about art and desire, imagining a pleasurable or at least unthreatening kind of deja vu that comes of knowing one's tastes, for strawberry 
Ice Cream, Glee, Billy Joel, or indeed for Taylor Swift, and following them in the face of a world that expects you to try new things and have different experiences. Is this relationship to the consumption of sugar, travel destinations, and media entirely condemned by the song? Or is it a song that, in its very energy and propulsiveness, seems to require a second or third hearing? Indeed, to be blasted on repeat? Is it a song that in some way wants to give you deja vu? And another question. If this song makes Taylor Swift uncanny, or itself bears an uncanny relationship to Taylor Swift, what can that tell us about Taylor? I've been thinking about this, and I think there's actually something very unswiftian about this song, if we agree that swiftian is the correct adjective for things related to Taylor Swift. It's hard to imagine Taylor Swift describing herself as a type. In fact, remember that article from Backstage about an actor's types? Taylor is cited there presumably as an example of someone who plays a lot of different types, who seems to want to be seen as capable of shifting chameleon-like between different ways of being and ways of being seen. And in addition to her liking for playing parts for dressing up as other people, Taylor always claims to be exceptional. In Endgame, for example, Taylor wants to be unlike, as she puts it, the other girls. I don't want to touch you, I don't want to be, just another ex-love you don't want to see, I don't want to miss you, I don't want to miss you, like the other girls do. And indeed in that song, she leaves an indelible print on her partner. I hit you like bang, we tried to forget it, but we just couldn't, and I bury hatchets, but I keep maps of where I put them, reputation precedes me, they told you I'm crazy, I swear I don't love the drama, it loves me. Indeed, in an endgame in chess, the pieces have been narrowed down and each side is trying to close in on the other side's king. That Taylor is in some sense the king seems inevitable. She has big enemies coming for her, the drama loves her, she stands out from an increasingly violent and vindictive crowd by her willingness to accept the fights that come to her, even as she claims to run away from both crowds and conflict. Even in a song such as White Horse, in which she describes herself as not a princess and the romance is not a fairy tale, she's still the exception. This may be a small town, but she's the one who gets out. The song that is probably, apart from Cruel Summer for obvious reasons, the most like Deja Vu is You Belong With Me, a song that functions as Deja Vu's opposite or distorted reflection. Taylor contrasting herself to her crush's girlfriend in that song, whom she also plays in the music video, as we discussed in a previous episode, claims, She wears short skirts, I wear t-shirts, she's cheer captain, and I'm on the bleachers, dreaming about the day when you wake up and find that what you're looking for has been here the whole time. If you could see that I'm the one who understands you, been here all along, so why can't you see? You belong with me. Taylor is the one, the one who understands you, but she's also the other one, the one who doesn't understand you. She's not just the one that is, but she's everyone. When Taylor Swift released the re-recordings of Fearless, she sent this song to Olivia Rodrigo as well as to another young singer, Conan Gray, my two kids, as Taylor referred to them, and they used it to record a TikTok based on the music video for this song, in which Rodrigo as Taylor Swift holds up a sign based on the one Taylor as high school nerd held up. Rodrigo imitating Taylor, claiming a defiant individuality. I guess they're both the one? When Olivia Rodrigo claims then that she sounds kind of like the other woman whom we have been reading here as Taylor Swift, and certainly I would say Taylor Swift sounds more like Olivia Rodrigo than Sabrina Carpenter, about whom Olivia's song is sometimes said to be on a more literal level, but let's not even get into that whole thing, she's making a statement about Taylor that Taylor might or might not accede to. 
does Taylor Swift think that she sounds like Olivia Rodrigo? When Rodrigo claims Taylor as a co-writer on this song, what is Taylor's reaction to that? Does she recognize herself in this unauthorized double? Taylor, if you're listening, write into studiesintaylorswift at gmail.com to let me know. When Rodrigo sings that it's a different girl now, but there's nothing new, this contrasts a cruel summer's repeated, it's new, the shape of your body, as if to offer a rejoinder to the previous song to say that that might have been new, but this isn't. This is all reused. Harold Bloom writes in The Anxiety of Influence that a poem is a poet's melancholy at his lack of priority. And Bloom claims in that book that poets, at least strong poets, feel anxiety about the fact of their belatedness in the poetic tradition, the fact that they're inevitably influenced by those who have gone before. This is not something that I would say most people really believe anymore, especially as the definition for what makes a strong poet is circular. It's those that Bloom sees as writing in a particular tradition in such a way that they overcome while still feeling the influence of their predecessors. In fact, this song works in such a way as to actually retroactively claim a collaboration between two women, two singers who perform the same song. As Rodrigo puts it, I played you the song she's singing now. This is creativity as owning your type, becoming both a recognizable member of a group and the one who sets a new type, the person who defines how others are then seen. This is interestingly complicated, a model of musical influence that passes through this relationship with a man who sees the women as essentially interchangeable. But it's also a connection that extends beyond a particular relationship to say something about the formation of taste, the influence of people we've never met on the way we live our lives. This is the topic of Rodrigo's Jealousy Jealousy, too, a song about comparing oneself to other people. Comparison is killing me slowly, I think I think too much about kids who don't know me, and I'm so sick of myself, I'd rather be rather be, anyone anyone else, anybody else, jealousy jealousy. This song's anxiety is not about being influenced, but rather about failing to be influenced enough, about wanting to be like other people with their perfect teeth and vacation photos, but feeling left out of what they have. In some ways, Deja Vu then reassures in that it asserts there is at least one other person like me. I am a type. I may not be like everyone else, but I'm like someone else. I was going to call this The Anxiety of Influencers, but I looked it up, and that's the title of an article in Harper's by Barrett Swanson about TikTok houses, which I ended up reading and enjoying. A reminder that repetition is inevitable, even accidental repetition. Everyone sounds a little like someone else, either because we are speaking and writing in the same languages, or talking about the same things, or because, I don't know, we're all human or something. Anyway, thanks for listening to this first episode of Season 2 of Studies in Taylor Swift. Please follow, rate, and review, and write into studiesintaylorswift at gmail.com with questions or comments. I've also started a website that will eventually contain expanded essay versions of some episodes, which should be linked in the notes. Anyway, thanks for listening to this episode of Studies in Taylor Swift. You're listening to Happy Strumming by Audionautics.